Hello and welcome to our podcast. Today we have a special guest with us who is an experienced English teacher. So let's get started. Luis Eduardo, how are you today, man? What's up? What's Hernan, the crack? How you doing? Here in Ireland. What's the crack, man? <laughs> Everything is good. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's a pleasure. And uh, I am doing better than you because it looks like you're freezing over there. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. We just have a cold wave here. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like the end of March already, in the middle of spring. Summer is coming and then we, we have a cold wave. Snow is coming next week. And yeah, it's, it's oh, just, wow. the usual, just the usual. All right, but let's get this started. What inspired you to become an English teacher, Lucho? Well, you know, I think uh, very few teach teachers that are now teachers, and I think of many subjects, uh, very few of those teachers when they were children said, I want to be a teacher. You know, it just, it happens kind of by chance, and it's like a random thing. And maybe when you're much older, you're you're an adult or, or nearing the adult stage in your life, you say, okay, maybe this is something for me. Uh, it happened to me, it was, it was something by chance. I, I came to Colombia and... Uh, I really, I ran out of money. <laughs> I ran out of money and uh, I saw a friend here who I knew from uh, uh, the time that I lived in the United States. And uh, he said, you know, you could, you could be an English teacher. You're, you're, you, you manage the, the language well and I, I think you can do it. And I said, me, an English teacher? And so I started teaching, but it was really a, a, a random thing. And I'm talking about the year 2005. So, I mean... Being that I'm in Latin America, you know, things have changed and things keep changing uh, almost exponentially. But back in the day, back in 2005 in, in the city of Pereira, which is where I reside now, um, basically, if you had good pronunciation, you could be an English teacher with no qualification, which was in that in that particular part of my life. That was my case. I had never taught a class and they heard me speak and they said, hey, you can teach. And uh, I started working in an English academy where... The focus was more of a communicative approach, and they really didn't teach grammar and stuff, which is something that I had no idea of how to do. And uh, I, I started, and you know, I, I just, I just learned along the way. And so wait a minute. So, so you spoke English at the time, but you, you had no idea about grammar. No idea. And you became no a idea. teacher. And I became a teacher. That sounds like a puzzle. It, it does. I, it does, and it, it's kind of, um, you know, I was reading a book last night. And it's kind of the way everything goes. I think as human beings, back when we were cavemen, when we were kind of animals, we had no way of, first we acted and then we had a name for the action. And that's kind of how it went with me. I, I just start, I started teaching and, I, I, and then as I was teaching, I was learning. I, I kind of was learning the grammar with the students because I had to study in order to be able to teach the grammar. And... Um, But I think, um, you know, grammar is, is it, it's important, but it shouldn't be the focus of, of the language. And I mean, that's not the way native speakers uh, learn anyway. You know, uh, if you if, in fact, if you talk to a native speaker and you say, you know, what's the third person? They'll say, no, I'm by myself. They have no idea what the third person is. You know, uh, they have very little um, grasp of that uh, knowledge. And that happens for almost all native speakers they have no idea how the grammar works in their language that, that's true but, but all right at the end at the end that's good to hear and and when did you become 
an online teacher? Is it is it like the same to be to be a face to face teacher, a classroom teacher, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, you just became an online teacher? How, how was the process? Well, uh, I was a school teacher for many years. I was um, I worked in English academies, and then I actually also started working for uh, some universities down here as an English teacher. And uh, then I became a school teacher. I was a school teacher for uh, 12 years. And I think I, I, the first time I gave an online class, I think this was back in maybe 2018, maybe 2019. But the reason I gave that class was because I had a, a couple of uh, students that were uh, that I was their teacher back when they were in high school. They had graduated and they were in another city and they wanted English class. And so, you know, I gave the class online. And as you, you all, we all know, you know, then the COVID came around and I think many teachers were forced to become online teachers. It wasn't something that, you know, um, and then, you know, and now I've, I've been teaching online for years now. And as an online teacher, Luis, uh, what do you think are the most effective tools for teaching English? Uh, you know, I think it, it depends on the aim. Because uh, there are students that say, you know, I only want to focus on pronunciation. Some other students say, you know, I want to focus on, on listening. So I think the aim is first and foremost. I think also um, the level of the student is important. Um, but I think more than, more than one effective tool, I think you need an effective process. And I think the effective process is to get immersed as much as you can with the language. I have students, and this is way before I was an online teacher, uh, just to take you a little bit back. I, you know, when I started teaching, I started learning this grammar. I, I was very grammar based. And I think it happens very, very much to, to English teachers who are not teaching in native speaking uh, countries. So uh, if I'm teaching English to kids from Latin America, um, you know, I started uh, teaching grammar was kind of the focus. And then I noticed that, you know, it wasn't really going anywhere because it's very hard for people to memorize grammar rules. And I started focusing on uh, the students that were doing well. And I would say, you know, why are they doing well versus the other ones that are, are not doing that well? And I noticed that the students that were doing very well, um, they they were good at grammar, but not because they studied the the uh, the, the rules. It's because they, they did a lot of listening and they did a lot of reading. So then I kind of I kind of shifted my focus and I shifted it to a, a class where it was more focused on reading and listening because, you know, we learn language with our receptive skills, which is listening and seeing. And the only way we can see a language is via reading. So we, we need to get enough information in, in order to produce, which is, you know, spoken language and written language. But we don't learn anything by speaking and, and um and writing. And I know that sounds crazy, but think about it. If you lock yourself in a room and just write for two hours, you're not going to learn anything because there's no feedback. And the same thing happens when you speak. You can speak to a wall for two hours, but you're not going to improve your English because you need feedback. So I think yeah. So I think what you really need is to get as much information as you can in order to be able to produce. So I would say um, what I always tell students is if you want to study without studying, um, pick a, a series and uh, listen to it in English and 
read the closed captions or subtitles in English. And that way you're listening, you're reading what they're saying. So you're really, you're working on listening, you're working on reading, and you're working pure receptive skills uh, without, without, without really studying. And um, I think it's, it's really an effective tool. Um, but like I said, it's more, more than one tool. It's more of a process. I would say do a lot of listening, do a lot of reading. Nowadays, there's just so much technology out there. Um, and, and it, it, and it continue, continues to change now with this chat GPT oh, that everybody's well, talking about. We'll leave that for the end. We're going to dive into <laughs> it. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, I, I think... I That's think the, in the chat I, GPT, we're going to dive into this AI and all this new world. It's just unbelievable. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. All of you that are joining us on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Welcome to this new episode of Hernan's English Classroom. Today we are with teacher Luis Campuzano. Online resources to teach English as a second language. Everything is so interesting, Luis, but... There is a new, there is a question that arises and it's how do you adapt your teaching style to meet the needs of students from different cultural backgrounds and obviously from different levels? Like, because I know, for example, you work with us in the academy and, and we have students from Mexico, from Peru, right. from, from Argentina, from Colombia. We have students that are, are Colombians, but they live in the States. So how do you adapt all these, all these strategies and all these tools that you have? Well, I think uh, I think the key there is is their access to the resources. Um, you know, the student can be from India, from China, from Germany, but if they don't have access to the resources, then I can't use the same kind of planning um, and the kind of the same scheme for everyone. I'm very fortunate that in the classes that we give, everybody's from Latin America, whether it be Mexico or Panama, Ecuador, Peru. You know, we have students from from all Latin America, but I think uh, we're lucky in the sense that us Latin Americans, we share, uh, I say, a, a general heritage. And so we all have kind of, you know, a lot in common. And so that makes it easier. Um, you know, it, that's something else that's pretty funny, too. If you listen to a Mexican that's just learning English and you listen to a person from Chile that's just learning English and a person from Panama and they speak English, they all have the same accent. So... You won't really know what country they're from um, unless you ask them, which is, I think, something it's it's something very interesting about uh, the language and how even though, you know, somebody from Mexico sounds very different than somebody from Argentina, when they speak English, it's almost the same, you know. 100%. So our, bra our brains are hardwired almost the same way when it comes to teaching the second language. Yeah, so, I yeah. I agree, yeah. And how do you incorporate technology into your teaching? Now let's dive into ChatGPT, for example. Oh how, boy! How to how to introduce? Like you were talking about Netflix or series or whatever uh, TV shows, which are completely different to series, but mm -hmm. we right. we can still uh, like luckily we can still talk about TV shows that are different and they have <laughs> they have more of this cultural background. Like for example, sure. if I want TV shows here in, in Irish TV. That, that would be something completely different to what I would have in the States, for example. So how oh, do you sure. incorporate all these, all these tools and resources into your teaching? Well, you know, I do it in every, every way possible because as the years progress, um, 
there's more and more resources. There's so much competition and, and, and tools to, to learn the language. So I think as teachers, we have to, we have to move with the wave. We have to move with the current or we're going to drown. And, um, you know, I think the younger the students, the more they know about technology. In fact, I mean, there's, there's a lot of facades to this. There's a lot of parts to it. Well, the first part is I think social media has really changed the way uh, people pay attention in a class. You know, as if you give a class now online versus 10 years ago, if you're not fast paced, people get bored. And well, that's because years ago we were doing it through Skype or 10 years ago. Right. Because social media works that way. I mean, TikTok, for example, they're very short videos. So people, they're quickly engaged. Their attention span is very short. And that has that has kind of gone over now to education as well. It definitely has gone into education where kids are. They rather watch a video than just see a teacher explaining something for half an hour, you know. So we have to, or in my case, I try to use as many tools as possible. Of course, not saturating, but uh, just kind of looking for new things and, and how else I can change or what else can I can I use that maybe is is in fashion compared to you know two or three years ago. Um, and I think. If, now that we were talking about this chat GPT, that's going to, I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but I think that yeah, that's changed. And I think it's going to, it's a, it's going to be a huge um, change in education. I think many teachers around the world and not, not just English teachers, I'm saying teachers of all subjects have no idea of the technology that is out there and available for our students. And I think the students are much more aware of the technology than the teachers. The difference is the students don't know how to how to use it to its potential, the way a teacher would. Um, so you know, my my daughter taught me about, or she showed me Chat, chat GPT a few weeks ago, and my daughter's thirteen, and all the students that I've talked to that are very young, they all know what Chat GPT is. And I've asked many teachers and they have no idea what chat GPT is. So it goes to show you, she goes to show you kind of how unbalanced that is and how, you know, we have to change that. I think teachers have to be more knowledgeable and, and have to be constantly investigating because if you're not on the same page as your students, they're just going to get bored. So I incorporate it. Especially if you're one of those that thinks that the chat GPT is here to replace you. Like that, that's yeah, happened. yo, yeah, for that sure. Happen. Happen. Like, that, 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 he could be, he could be, like a tool for you, like a compliment. It, it well, saves yeah. time. It saves time, for example. But I've used it uh, once in a while, and 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 you have to make corrections. Like you can't copy and paste. Oh yeah. Well, you know, they, Erdan, they said the same thing about Google when Google came out. They said, "Oh no, Google's going to replace teachers," and that didn't happen. And I think it's the same same way with uh, artificial intelligence. Yes, it could give you answers. And yes, it can give you feedback, but not all students know how to get, how to get the feedback. And also, uh, not all students know how to use it to its full potential. Um, and you're also right. Not everything that ChatGPT is 100% accurate. And that's something that maybe people are finding out. Um, in fact, I was looking at some text uh, a couple hours ago from a student. And I, I, there's um, actually an AI uh, plagiarism checker. So now I took that text and I put it into a, an AI and it told me this, uh, this, uh, this text is most likely written completely by an a AI tool. So 
I mean, look how fast the, the world is moving. Now there's AI plagiarism checkers, which is crazy, right? And how can you prove it? Like, how, how would you prove that to a student, for example? If, if, oh. if, the, if, if, if it tells you that it's completely written by, by an AI tool, how would you prove it to him or to her? Well, you know, the um, I, I'm not a I'm not an expert on on AI, but what I what I what I have read on the AI is that AI just basically it's a predictor of patterns in language and coding and so forth. So it's very good at predicting what the next word would be in a sentence, and it and it and it keeps in mind the context of the sentence. So there's tools that do the same thing. So that's how they can kind of catch whether that was produced by an AI or not, which is which is mind-blowing because if I would have read the text and I would have never used the the AI plagiarism checker, I would have thought it was a real text. Um, the reason I put it into the AI detection tool was because I thought it was too perfect for a student that was just learning English. It was basically uh, had like no errors. So I said, this this can't be. And, and I was right. Um, But I, but, but I can guarantee you, I can, I can, I can assure that if you tell ChatGPT to write a text with 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 errors, considering that I'm an A1 student, he or it, it not he, it will write uh, an AI A1 sorry text with with some some gaps or some slips. Like, well, you know, that's a good. We should we should do that. Um, we should do that. We should try it out. You should send me a text done by an AI. And then I'll put in the plagiarism checker and see what comes out. That's a good. That's a good test, actually. So we can. Uh, uh, we we, check we that can out. do it. Yeah, sure. we can do it. All right. But uh, everything sounds great. But what about if you share some tips for improving students' vocabulary in English? Like, yeah, I don't know. You can mention, uh, for example, the five for you, the five best apps that you can oh, think wow. of, or, oh, wow. or or websites just for vocabulary. For example, I would say Duolingo, like students, they keep on asking about Duolingo. And I would say Duolingo could be one of them for vocabulary. Um, yeah. it's, really good. it's really good for vocabulary. That's I would sure. say that's the only thing what, what is good for. Uh, myself, for example, I'm doing the Italian course on Duolingo. It, it has oh, yeah. How you, how's it going? It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm getting there, but it has given me uh, lots of vocabulary, you know. Uh, but but I need, I need more, like I need more tools and eventually I would need someone to practice with. Otherwise it'd be, it'd be useless. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of great sites and a lot of great apps. Um, I think uh, for pronunciation, uh, a great uh, website is called Speech Ace. And uh, Speech Ace is one of the few, I mean, it's really the only one that I've seen where they give you words and phrases And uh, then you pronounce them and it, it kind of records your voice and then it gives you feedback on how well you pronounce the word. And if you pronounce a certain word in the sentence incorrectly, it tells you which word and it gives you a score of how well you pronounced uh, the word or, or the sentence. So and like I said before, without feedback, there's nothing right. How many of how many of your friends that only speak Spanish you hear them singing the words of a of a song in English and it's just like what are you saying man you know because there's no feedback nobody you know they're making fools out of themselves you know but, but they're trying but if there's no feedback they would never know what uh, what sounds to correct so 
I think this uh, website of Speed Chase is, is really for, for pronunciation. It is the best. Um, another one that's very good, that, but this one focuses on reading. And I want to emphasize how important reading is. And I think reading is, of all of the, the, the tools or, or I would say the, the skills to focus on to improve your overall English, reading is key. Because when we read, it is, it's now been researched that it's the best way to improve your vocabulary, the best way to improve your grammar in an implicit way. You're learning grammar, but without knowing that you're learning grammar because you're seeing tenses and word order and the syntax all in the text when you're reading. So it improves your grammar. It improves your ability to write better and even speak better. So definitely reading. And I think the best website for reading is called um, readtheory.org. I think that's the best website out there. I like that one because you take a diagnostic test and then it gives you a text that are to your level and then it gives you a quiz. And if you do very well, then they give you texts that are a little bit more difficult. And if, and if you do that poorly on, on a quiz, they give you a text that it's easier. So it's always pushing you and giving you something that's, you know, challenging, but not overwhelming. So you'll do terribly, but not something too easy where you're not learning anything. So I think it's fantastic in that sense. So readtheory.org, definitely for reading. Um, more than a website, I think it is a fantastic idea to choose a series, whatever it may be, but choose one, one series. And then watch it and with subtitles in English. And, and I'll tell you why. Our brains are very uh, adept at adapting to the way a person speaks. So uh, you as a teacher might know this. So you have students, right? They're in class with you. And you start talking to them in English. And after two weeks, they might not understand the meaning of each word that you say. But they understand the words that you're saying. Because our brain adapts to the pronunciation and the intonation of the person we are listening to. So the reason I say to choose a series is because in a series, you usually have the same cast, the same actors. And so your brain starts getting accustomed to the way this actor speaks and this character speaks. And it's easier for you to then understand the characters in the series. Whereas if you choose a movie, you know, to see every single time and it's a different movie, you know, your brain wouldn't get so accustomed to the way that the actors are are, 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 are uh, speaking because the intonation changes and, and the accents change and all that. So that's why I really, uh, uh, um, I really advise that somebody chooses a series and watch, you know, as many seasons as you can with the subtitles in English. All right. Great tips. Great tips, uh, Teacher Luis. Thanks very much for that. How do you approach teaching pronunciation to your students? Now you just you you had given us some 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 apps and some resources, but now how do you approach it? Like this is this is the most difficult part of teaching. For example, myself, I don't I don't focus on correction uh, uh, as long as they're communicating their message. Uh, well, regardless, I, I, regardless I, of their pronunciation. Yeah. Now, if they if they if there's if they're saying I don't know pitch instead of peach, then that that would be something to call in, you know. But but other than that. If they're communicating and if they're getting that they're getting a response, if I understood what they said, I don't focus on the error because a correction does not make make us correction does not make a master, you know. Whereas I agree. Master, I agree. But how do you approach pronunciation to your students? Okay, well, I think there's there's two answers to that. The first one is 
I agree with you that overcorrection will uh, kind of uh, leave the, the student not motivated to continue learning because they'll say, I'm, you know, I'm just doing horrible. I'm, I'm getting correct all the time. I'm, I'm not doing well. So I think overcorrecting is not good. What I usually do is when I, when I have conversations with the students or ask them something and they say something incorrectly, for example, you know, uh, they, they say this instead of these, which is a common mistake. I said, oh, you mean these. And so I repeat the sentence again in the correct pronunciation. Um, I do that a lot. But I think a very good technique that students can use is really something that, you know, every time as a teacher that I, I learn a new technique, I say, of course. But we don't know the name for it and, and all that stuff because, you know, it wasn't researched yet and all that. But there's something called the imitation technique or the shadowing technique, which is something that started um, to really be used, I would say, about five or six years ago. And it's the way babies learn language. Now, babies don't learn grammar. Babies learn language by listening to a word. They listen to a word. Okay, mom, mom, dad, dad. And they just they repeat what they heard. And so this imitation technique or the shadowing technique, and there are many videos of this on YouTube that you can look, you know, imitation technique or shadowing technique. Basically what this is, is the student would listen to a native speaker, say a sentence or a, a paragraph, and they read it at the same time. And then there's a pause and simply the student will then just repeat what they heard. And that's why it's called the imitation technique because, you know, at the end of the day, pronunciation is just imitation of sound uh, pronunciation we have to kind of change the, the the students chip that pronunciation is grammar it's not grammar pronunciation is one thing then grammar is another you know pronunciation is just imitation of sound that's all it is it's imitation of sound and I think if students think that way I'm just imitating the sound instead of I'm learning grammar it, they'll they'll do much better in their pronunciation but that's a fantastic technique the shadowing technique or the imitation technique there's hundreds of videos online for that. Um, and it's really useful. It really works. It, and it's, and it's, it's that simple. It's just listening, reading, and repeat. Listening, reading, and repeat. I think that's do you, that. Do you, do you uh, suggest like an amount of time every day? Like, you know, I don't know, if you do it for 30 minutes every day, Monday to Sunday, then you might get, you might get a result eventually, I don't know, within six months or whatever. Do you, oh, do you I have a recommendation? in order also avoiding 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 burning out you know because that also sure. you, they, they start with a lot of petrol and then they get on the, they, they would just run run out of it on the way i i agree i think um i think what it's like anything in life Hernan. you know if you want something you have to have some discipline and the more disciplined you are the faster you learn and that goes with english or chemistry or or Taekwondo or whatever it is, if you're a disciplined person, you will learn faster. Uh, we also have to keep in mind that um, there are different learning styles because, you know, dyslexia is prevalent. I think there are many people in the world that have dyslexia and don't know they have dyslexia. I think uh, last time that I read about 30% of the world's population has dyslexia, which is really high. That means three out of every 10 people has dyslexia or at least a level of it because there's low levels and there's high levels. So a person with dyslexia, for example, maybe they won't do as good in reading as another person. Uh, but maybe one of their other skills kind of compensates for that. And those people maybe are much better in, at listening or speaking. So um, I would say that 
work not on one skill, but work on many. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe try to read in English two or three times a week a text. Readtheory.org, uh, like I said before, is fantastic. So read uh, as much as you can. Listen as much as you can. And again, you don't have to really sit down and study grammar. That's not the idea. The more immersed you can get in the language, the better. When I mean immersed, try to listen to music in English. Watch your shows in English. The, the news that you read, try to read the text in English. The more immersed you get in it, the easier it will be. Some people, unfortunately, due to time restrictions, they say, no, but I don't have time. So they'll just wait for a Saturday or Sunday and try to do all these English exercises. And the brain gets tired. It's not going to absorb the information. It's not, it's not going to remember all the information that, that it needs in order to really have uh, a good progression. So I would say just when you think you don't have time, you can wash the dishes and listen to a podcast in English. 100%. You know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you can drive. You can you commute can, to work. And, exactly. And just listen to a podcast or something. Right, All right. right. I'm going to leave aside for one question the script. So we're going to switch code, some code swapping, because <laughs> I, like to I always like to emphasize with my students that uh, it, you don't need to be a native speaker in order to communicate in English with someone. So uh, at this moment, we have spoken English for 29 minutes and 20 seconds with no hassle, with no hassles. But now we can switch to Espanol. Y yo, como profesor también que soy, eh, soy consciente de que en el aula, nosotros como profesores de inglés, enfrentamos desafíos, ¿verdad? Y quisiera que usted nos cuente, profesor Luis Eduardo, algunos desafíos que usted ha enfrentado en su práctica como docente y cómo los ha superado. Bueno, eh, yo creo que esto pasa en todas las materias, donde no, quizás todos tenemos un familiar que dice, no, yo odio inglés. ¿Y por qué odio el inglés? No, porque el profesor que tuve era muy malo conmigo. Entonces yo creo que muchas de las personas tienen un trauma, trauma con el idioma, pero no por el idioma, sino por que eh, cuando estaba en el colegio o bueno, en un curso, eh, el docente no, no tuvo la mejor relación con ellos. Y yo sí eh, soy mm, muy fiel al pensamiento que los sentimientos están muy ligados con el aprendizaje, ¿cierto? Um, si un estudiante se siente apoyado y siente que puede confiar en que esta persona está haciendo su mejor esfuerzo para que él aprenda y confía, y que el profesor cree que él tiene la capacidad, entonces hay mejor rendimiento allí. El mayor desafío... Yo sé que suena como algo loco, pero la pobreza, ¿a qué me refiero a eso? Eh, desafortunadamente hay niños que si no, no comieron bien, por falta de recursos, pues no van a aprender nada. Entonces, eh, primordialmente, eh, como dije en una de las preguntas anteriormente, los recursos que tiene el individuo que está aprendiendo son primordial. Recursos tanto de comida como espacio, como acceso a las herramientas que tienen los demás, todos son factores. Yo creo que esas cosas, ¿no? ¿Qué, ¿Qué relación tiene el estudiante con el inglés y los recursos que ese mismo tiene a ellos? All right, that's perfect. Let's go back to English then. How do you uh, help your students to build their confidence in speaking English? Um, I think we all have we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. As human yeah. beings and as students and as teachers, right? So as a teacher, 
like a good coach, we're basically coaches. What we do is we tell the student who maybe is not very good at vocabulary, uh, but maybe they're very good at listening. So I say, hey, your listening is fantastic. You're doing, you know, great. But maybe we got to work a little bit on vocabulary. So it's a lot of it's a lot of positive feedback, positive feedback on the things they do well while you're focusing on the things that they don't do well and and show them that if they could do something very well in one skill, they can totally do it in the other. It just takes more time. And, uh, you know, because some students say, no, but my English is horrible. Okay, but when people say I'm, I'm terrible at English, what does that mean? I'm horrible at English. You can't be horrible at everything. Maybe you're horrible at reading, but you're not horrible at listening. Maybe you're horrible at writing, but you're not horrible at speaking. So we can't say we're horrible in English. It doesn't work like that. I always think that every student does something well better than the other skills. And, and that's what we have to keep in mind. They can do it in one. They can do it the other. It's a lot about believing in themselves and you as a teacher showing them that they can do it and it's possible for sure a hundred percent that's great advice luis all right we're nearly coming to the end of this uh episode unfortunately but how do you encourage students to practice their english outside of class that's a hard one and that's how a hard you, one and how do you actually uh, prove it like how how do you how can you be sure that they're practicing outside of class like this is my everyday as we say in spanish and pan de cada dia you know it's it's just tough they think it's that tough. they're they want to be bilingual they want to be fluent some of them want to talk like a native which is nearly impossible but at the same time they only practice two or four hours a week which is when they have class how can right. we encourage them to practice out of classroom well we you know we have to remind them that English is like, it's like a gym. When you go do exercise, whatever you put in, the work you put in, those are the results you're going to get back. So if you're putting in 30% of the effort, you're only going to learn 30% back. So I, I tell my students, you know, once you're in English class, you're in debt. Están en deuda. Están en deuda. You have to, you have to pay 100%. You got to give me 100% if you want to learn 100%. But Uh, being more specific to, you know, for each student, uh, if you have a, a smaller class and, you know, there's some people that like music, there's some people that like art. So what you can do is recommend an activity that is based on their likes. And when they come back, you ask them questions based on that activity that you gave them that was based on their likes. Because, you know, there are students that like music. And then if you give them an activity that's based on um, history, They're not going to do it with the same emphasis. But if you can really tailor the class or the activities for them to do outside of the class that are to their likes and tailored to what they like, it, it, you know, you'll have a better probability that, that they'll do it and they'll practice. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that sounds like a really effective approach. And, and in terms of pronunciation, how can you encourage them to practice out of the class? Because that's, that's um, obviously uh, uh, an approach that you're using to to encourage input but yeah. in terms of output because at the end at the end of the road what they want is they want production they want they want to be able to write and speak and they they normally don't get it that that that's the last stage like uh Stephen yeah. Stephen yeah. says for example that in order for you to be fluent in English you have to receive at least 2000 hours of input Imagine that. I mean, like yeah, you need 
it, you need 2000 hours of input in order to be fluent. So what yeah. could be a good approach? What, what can you suggest that all our listenings, listeners, sorry, uh, in order to in, improve their speaking or to practice their speaking out of the classroom? Well, uh, as I mentioned before, if you don't have the, the, the vocabulary and the knowledge to produce, to speak and write, there's no way you're going to be able to do it. Um, so I would say it's a combination. Read and listen as much as you can. And also, uh, maybe with this tool that I recommended, which is Speech Ace, try to work on specific uh, phonetic sounds. When I like that web page because it gives you feedback on how well you are pronouncing certain words. But it's got to be something that's done simultaneously while they're reading and they're listening. It's not just focusing on pronunciation because once they, if they don't have the vocabulary, they'll never be able to produce. So you have to read, you have to listen. You can work on your pronunciation while you're doing that, but you have to read and listen while you're working on pronunciation. Speech ace, I mean, for pronunciation. And when it comes to writing, um, I think uh, the, these new AI tools are, are key because uh, before as students, when students used to do writing activities and texts, they would have to wait for a teacher to sit down and correct them. And nowadays, you know, it's, it's very few teachers really sit down and look at and read all the paragraphs and, and mark all the grammar. And you as a teacher, I mean, I used to do it too. There's students where you mark every little mistake they had and you put the correction. You say, look, these are your mistakes. And some students, they'll look at it for five seconds and say, okay, you know, they don't care. So I think a good way to do it now is with ChatGPT, you can put a text in and you can ask ChatGPT, please show me my mistakes and explain my errors to me. Explain my mistakes. And the uh, artificial intelligence can now show you, okay, these were your mistakes and this is why you made the mistake and this is the correct text. And I think that feedback when it comes to speaking and writing is key. Without feedback and speaking and writing, you're not going to get better, especially when you're just beginning. So I think when it comes to writing, uh, ChatGPT is fantastic for giving feedback. Fantastic. All right. Very good. So let's write it down. ChatGPT. ChatGPT in order to practice your English, to improve your communication skills, your input, your output. Um, Luis, how about, this is the, the million dollar question. How can you think in English and not in Spanish or not in your native language? That's, Ooh, the, that's I said is the one million question. I think, um, I think I said it once before and the key is immersion. I have had students where I try, I try to speak English as much as possible in class. And I try to get all the activities are in English, whether it be video activities or everything is in English. And I encourage students to, you know, when they leave class, watch all their series in English, try to read in English. And I have had students say, you know what, teacher, I had a dream in English for the first time in my life. And that happens only when you are thinking in English. Um, I think uh, the, the students have to understand English is a different language. It's not Spanish. So the idea that I have to translate every single word is only going to slow down your learning process because you're too busy trying to be a translator instead of trying to learn. So forget about translating every word. 
read as much as you can and try to listen to as much as you can, but don't watch the shows with a dictionary in your hand. Just watch it. Your brain will eventually get the context because you listen to it so many times. Just give it time. So the key is immersion and patience and discipline. That's a great approach and that's a great advice. But finally, what other uh, suggestions, what other advice do you have for individuals who are learning English as a second language? That is basically our dear community, especially uh, the most of our students, most of our subscribers, followers, listeners, they're Spanish speakers. All right, because we are aiming to be the biggest Spanish speaking community that has a goal in common, which is communicating English. So what could be a, some piece of advice for them? So my advice for everybody that wants to learn English, no se rindan. No se rindan. Si no se rinden, tarde o temprano van a llegar a la meta. Pero si se rinden, está seguro que nunca llegarán a ella. No se rindan. Traten de siempre estar inmersos en el lenguaje, practicar, eh, y no se trata de uno pegarse a un libro de gramática, sino más bien lean y escuchen lo más que puedan y con el tiempo lo van a aprender, estoy seguro, pero la meta es la disciplina. Do you have, do you have a, a suggestion or a time in mind? I don't know, two hours every day? Uh, uh, I, think, I, think, I think two hours is too much, but I'm going to be realistic at that. I'm going to be realistic, all right? Because I can say, I mean, The best thing would be an hour a day, but nobody's going nobody's gonna to do that an hour a day. But I want the students and the people who are listening to think, how much time do you spend on TikTok? How much time do you spend on Instagram, right? It's, it's, um, it's research that a normal person between, you know, 18 and 24, they're spending two hours a day on, on social media. Take two out of those two hours. If you just dedicate 30 minutes of that, to learning English and you can do it on TikTok and you can do it on Instagram. You can do it on YouTube. 30 minutes a day, I guarantee within six months, you are going to be able to express yourself, maybe not in all the verb tenses, but you will be able to express yourself and understand a basic level within six months for sure. And this is, this is without having a teacher. So imagine if you had a teacher plus you practice outside of the classroom, you can really do something special in six months. All right, 30 minutes a month, a day, sorry. That would be about uh, 900 minutes uh, a month if you did it, if you did it uh, every day. It's about, it's about three and a half hours a week. And three and a half hours a week, is a, it's a good amount of time. It really is. Um, and 30 minutes is enough where you're not saturating the brain but it's not too little, you're not learning anything. What I do recommend if you're going to study, and this goes not only for English, but for any subject, it is proven that the best time to study is right when you wake up and right before you go to sleep, because that's when the brain uh, most takes in the information. So right when you wake up and right before you go to sleep is the most recommended. That's excellent advice, Luis. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks everybody for tuning in and sharing your insights on teaching English as a second language. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.